Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. As we continue to focus on the name and the nature and the person of Christ, I want us today to focus on the significance of the season. Now that seems rather unnecessary in this context because we are here uh, singing about Christ, celebrating His birth, but I think it's important for us to, to regain a biblical perspective every year on the eternal significance of the coming of the Savior. If you're like me, Christmas quickly uh, gets involved, doesn't it, the season? The season can quickly become commercialized, chaotic and cluttered, and we rush through it, missing the stillness and the power of the coming of Christ. Uh, We find ourselves captivated by making decisions about our destinations. We have details that take us to deadlines. But when you look at the simplicity of the significance of the first Christmas, as we would call it, it challenges us to get back to a basic focus on the person of Jesus Christ. So I want us to look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 26, and we're going to look at the experience that Mary has with the angel and the message that is delivered to her and her response to that and how it all centers on the Savior. So let's look together at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, referring back to Elizabeth in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, 
How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is at times to uh, read these familiar words and completely miss the awe and wonder of what you were accomplishing and what you were performing. So, Father, that would be my prayer this morning, that we would recapture that awe and wonder as we reflect on how you worked in this young lady's life in Scripture. And so, Father, would you please speak through me today because unless you speak, I have absolutely nothing to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were just to ask generally, what is so significant about this season? Some would say, It's the mark of a break from school. That's what's significant about it. Others might say it's significant financially because that's when many businesses uh, move into the the black and they are debt-free for the year. And and now we have all of these focuses that follow uh, the Friday of shopping and now it carries on for a a lengthy period of time, and and that's the significance of it. Others would say, well, it's significant because that's when families make the greatest effort to be together, uh, to share a meal and to share time together and to catch up with each other's lives. Although all of that might be a reality, the most significant thing about the season is the Savior. If there were no Savior, there would be no season. If there was no heavenly gift of Christ, there would be no hope for us. So I want us to look at the significance, not just of the season, but of the Savior that we claim to worship and to adore during the season. So the first thing in the passage we just read a moment ago that I'd like to bring to your attention is that the the Savior 
is the substance and the source of all significance. The Savior is the substance and the source of all significance. When you're holding the Scripture in your hands, uh, perhaps you're aware it's divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament points forward to Christ, giving us pictures and glimpses of who He will be. The New Testament points back to the coming of Christ and helps us to see clearly who He was and who He claimed to be. And it also points us to the future when Christ will return. This book is about the Son of God coming to redeem people for the glory of the Father. The entire book centers on the person of Christ. And so everyone in this book that has any significance has significance because they have come into the story of the story of redemption that climaxes in the person of Christ. So people might say, well, who was Mary? She was a maiden that was used by God to bring the Messiah into the world. Apart from Christ, she has no significance. Before Christ was born, she had no significance. She was simply a young lady living her life, perhaps in her mid to late teens, going on with life, preparing to be married, dreaming the dreams that Jewish girls would dream about being a homemaker and a helper to her husband. And apart from that... She had little significance other than she had faith in God. But when Christ came into the picture, she took on great significance. But her significance centers on the Savior because he is the source and the substance of all significance. Notice how the story begins. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. We know that an angel was dispatched to an insignificant town, Nazareth, that would have the reputation that others would say, what good could come from Nazareth? Nazareth was one of those places that had very little significance until Christ was born, until he was raised there. This whole story begins to shed new light on that place, not because of the place, but because of the person of of Christ. So an angel's dispatched to an insignificant place to speak to an insignificant young maiden named Mary. What a beautiful picture of the fact that God knows who you are and where you are. He knows who you are and where you are. Can anybody tell me how many times somebody's asked you, now where is Crockett? And immediately you recognize that people from here are smarter smarter than everybody else that are not from here because they ask where we are and we know where we are and they don't.
Crockett. Isn't that where the president has his ranch? Have you ever heard that? And I say, no, 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 that's not Crockett. Well, here's the picture. That It's a picture very similar. How many times? Now, now, what's... Tell me about Nazareth. Where is it? What, what significance does Nazareth have? None whatsoever. Till the significant Savior is announced there. We might put significance on communities, but the most significant thing happening in any community is the activity of God. And wherever that centers, that's the headquarters of significance in that place. And so he brings this message to her in verse 28. Rejoice, highly favored one. That word favor appears again uh, down in verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The root of the first word in the Greek language there, part of that word is the word charis or grace. Then when it appears in verse 30, it is the word charis or grace. The word that simply means grace. Literally, the, the word grace means undeserved favor. Or it can mean to be the object of a gracious visitation. To pursue with grace, to surround with grace, to honor with blessings. The picture of grace is when someone has extended grace, especially God, it's, it's him giving someone something they do not have, something they do not deserve, but something that they desperately need. It's a picture of how desperately empty Mary's life would have been apart from the gracious act of God. It's not like God walked up to Mary looking for someone supernaturally special, but he came and he graced her. He poured out his favor and his blessing upon her, not because of who she was, but because of who he was and through whom his son would be born. Many times that gets twisted around, doesn't it? When you have a human-centered picture of Scripture, it can really shift the focus away from where it belongs. The the main subject of the story here is not Mary. The main subject is Jesus. And the significance there is the Savior. And God was gracing her with an opportunity like no one else would ever have. She would forever stand apart in that respect. But she was born just like any other young girl would have been born. She was raised in a very common way. She worshiped God like other people worshiped God. She had no divinity about her. She simply was chosen by God and graced by him for a special task. 
And anytime we begin to think that we have enhanced God's significance by our involvement in his kingdom, we are sadly mistaken, aren't we? The whole picture here is on the person of Jesus Christ and the significance that he alone can bring into a person's life. So God's favor or his grace is an expression of his faithfulness. So when God, through the angel, sends a message to Mary, he is fulfilling great prophecy and promise that he made in eternity past that someday a Savior would be born. And that favor which he extended to Mary was symbolic of the favor and grace he would extend to the world through the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. The Savior is the substance and the source of all significance. Without Christ, we have no significance at all. Without him, we have nothing. Then the second thing in the passage, when God calls, it is always centered on his son. When God calls, it is always centered on his son. Look at the passage as it unfolds, beginning there in verse 29. It says there in verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor or grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The two things she's responsible for, you will conceive, God is ultimately responsible for that. You will call his name Jesus, the name's already picked, you'll place that name on him. And then everything else is about Christ. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Do you see how the picture here is, is one of Christ? It's not putting Mary on a pedestal. It's, it's putting her They're in awe and wonder of what God is about to do through her in the coming of Christ. She will conceive, she'll name the baby, but then he will be this and he will be that and the great significance of the Savior and this call of God to her to be the earthly mother of him centers on the person of Christ. So anytime God calls, it always centers on Christ. You know people who forget that as bad as anybody else? Preachers. I'm not just called to preach. I am called by God to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
a sermon that does not magnify Christ and focus on him is really no sermon at all. And so there are people who will fill pulpits today and and they'll give what some would say good worldly advice, but never mention the name of Christ or simply give a nod to him. But in reality, if they are called by God to preach, they are called to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the apostle Paul said, when I was among the Corinthians, he told them, I sought to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. If I don't have the Savior, I don't have a sermon because he is the substance of all significance and any call from God that you have centers on the person of Christ. So I would suggest that when you sense God guiding you in a certain direction, you understand if if he's calling you to move to a new area, he's calling you to relocate as an ambassador of Christ. If he's calling you to develop a new relationship, he's, he's doing that so that you can develop a relationship with that person as a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if you are uh, building a family together with your spouse and you are raising children, you are there to nurture them in the understanding of the lostness in their life and the Lord Jesus and his salvation for them. Whatever relationship, whatever role, whatever direction your life may take under the call of God, it always centers on the person of Christ. And if he's not at the central part of what you're doing, it's very possible you ought not to be doing it because you should be doing it as an ambassador for Christ because he is the one with the eternal kingdom. He is the one that offers salvation. He's the one that brings freedom. I have nothing to offer you apart from the person of Christ. Just listen to the list of things, five things about Jesus. He will be great. That doesn't mean that he'll be in a a small group of great leaders. No, he'll, he'll stand at the top. He's the greatest of the great. And there's such a chasm between him and anyone else. He will be called the son of the most high or the highest of the highest, God himself. Thirdly, he will be given the throne of his father, David, What that says is he'll be the fulfillment of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that have to do with the Jewish people and the coming of the Messiah. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He cannot be impeached or assassinated because he is above reproach and he is the Lord of the resurrection. And his kingdom will never, ever, never, ever, ever, ever end. He is eternal. And when God calls you, he doesn't call you because you have some significance to bring to him, but he brings all the significance to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's what's happening here with Mary. Just a common girl about to marry a common man, 
and live a very common, uneventful life. But when God called her and that message came to her, her whole life was revolutionized by the coming of Christ into that family. And if Christ is in your family, he is to revolutionize everything about your family in a different way, but in a special way. So the Savior is the substance and source of all significance. And when God calls, it is always centered on His Son. And then thirdly and finally, God's eternal plan may seem illogical, improbable, and impossible to us. Notice her response in verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And then the angel replies, The Holy Spirit will. And then the sentence goes on. Her first word in her response is, How? How can this be? One commentator emphasized the fact that Mary did not lose her speech and was not disciplined by God for disbelief. She completely believed that God was going to bring the Messiah. She completely believed that God can do it any way he wanted to do it. it. It's all wrapped up in that text, but her concern was, how can this be since I have no physical way of doing that apart from the physical demands that are typically tied to that experience? How can this be since I've had no relations with a man. You know what she was saying? This is illogical, highly improbable, and definitely impossible. Have you ever felt that way in your life when God was calling you to represent Christ in a certain setting or calling you to be a witness for Christ to a certain person? The first thing you thought was, how can this be? This can't be God because it doesn't make sense to me. You know what it really is? You must not be God because it doesn't make sense to you. Because sometimes when God calls, and most of the time, it seems rather illogical, improbable, and highly impossible. That's exactly what was spinning in her mind and churning in her heart. How can this be? I experienced that as a shy, introverted teenager. When God called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, my first question was very similar. How can this be? I finally got up the nerve to talk to my youth pastor and my pastor and and. They both talked to me. I, I was assured that God had called me to preach. I, I knew that in my heart, but I couldn't wrap my head around it. It seemed so illogical, improbable, and impossible to me. 
that when it came that Sunday that I was going to walk down the aisle and tell my pastor so he could tell the people that God had called me to preach. I walked down the aisle, I took his hand, and I said this, God has called me into some type of special service. And he said, well, I, I thought we were certain, and you were certain that God had called you to preach. And I said, well, I, I think that's right, but I'm afraid to say it. I, I don't think that can work. I don't see how that would work. And he said, but I was going to present you that God had called you to preach. And I said, he has called me to special service. That's all I'm willing to say. So then when it came time for me to go to college, a few months later, I had to come back down. I'll make it official. And I had to take a deep breath and say to him, God has called me to preach. And I had to come to the realization, although it didn't seem logical, probable, or possible to me, that God could make that happen. You know how many years ago that was? About 43 years ago. So for 43 years, I've been doing what I never dreamed I could do. And you know what? Every week I have a sense that I cannot do this apart from him. And that may be where you live, in that dependence upon God, because to represent Christ is not the most logical thing in our culture. To speak a word about Jesus is, is, is not the most favorable thing to do, but when God calls you and that call is centering on his son and the only source of all substance in your life is Jesus, then, then God equips you and enables you to do that. And then notice how the angel responds in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Have you ever seen that phrase on a plaque or a bumper sticker or greeting card? With God, nothing is impossible. That's true, but it needs greater context, doesn't it? When God is calling you to represent the person of Christ, when you are living in the center of his will, seeking his will for your life, and your heart is passionately set upon him, nothing is impossible that God places upon your heart. It's not because you have been endowed with great power and authority. It's because you are bowing before the God of greatest power and authority. You are seeking his will and walking with him and serving him 
exalting his son. And when you do that and your heart is set on doing only what God calls you to do, then I guarantee you with him nothing is impossible and all things are possible to him. Now think about these two women mentioned here in those last few verses, Elizabeth and Mary. Perhaps distant relatives, very little in common. Elizabeth, here at the end of her life, Mary, here at, by all practical purposes, at the beginning of her life, both in a position where it would be physically impossible for them to have a child for different reasons. Elizabeth would say, well, I'm too old. Mary would say, well, I'm too young. Mary, uh, Elizabeth would say it's too late. Mary would say it's, it's too early. But God would say to both of them, this is right in my timing. And away go all of our excuses, don't they? I'm too young. I'm too experienced. I, I, I'll, I'll serve him someday. Not at all. That's not a good excuse. Look at Mary. Well, I'm too old. It's time for somebody else to serve. Not necessarily because God is using Elizabeth in the latter days of her life. What in the world excuse could we come up with that we don't find addressed in Scripture? It's never too early. It's never too late to serve the Lord. It's never too late to seek Him. It's always a good time to seek his timing in your life. But then back up and look at this scene. God the Son is about to be put in the hands as a baby into the hands of a teenager. If you're a parent, do you remember the first time you left your child with a young babysitter? I heard some gulps even as I asked that question. I wondered if that babysitter was capable of taking care of my child. Now I'm beginning to wonder, is there any babysitter worthy to take care of my grandchildren? Great concern. But God the Son is being placed into the hands and near the heart of a young teenage maiden and a rugged young man perhaps in his early 20s. And under strange circumstances that will be misunderstood for the rest of his earthly life. And he will not be born in a palace He'll be placed in a manger, in a barn. Isn't that strange? He will come in the world in that setting. What could be stranger than the manger? The cross. I mean, I look at the vulnerability of the 
manger scene. I, I look at the awesome reality that the God of the universe, God the Son, became a man. I, I try to wrap my mind around that, but then you trace that over to the cross and you look at the hideous torture and shame and the outpouring of the wrath upon sin and and who can begin to fathom that that seems so illogical and so improbable and so impossible that that man dying on that cross can make any difference centuries later in our lives it seems so illogical to so many people but it's so of God that it has to be embraced Here's what the scripture says about the cross. In Galatians 3, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He did that so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Then in chapter 4 of Galatians, it says this, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. The one and only Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. So the question today is not, are you a faithful church attender or or what label do you wear or what title do you bring to the table? The question is, are you a child of God? Have you come to know Christ? Have you embraced the significance of his birth and his death on your behalf? Have you come to the realization apart from him, you have no significance and even worse, you have no hope because he took the weight and the payment of your sin upon himself that we might become the children of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if someone who walked through the door with no significance apart from Christ could walk out the door with significance centered on the person of Christ? And if you were a Christian today, you know that transformation took place in your life, didn't it? So the question today is not, where is Christ in all of this seasonal celebration, but where are you in relationship to Christ? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? And have you embraced him as your only hope for salvation? We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.